or go to give2wbai.org. You can ask for it by name. Once again, Drama of the Gifted Child. And that comes in a flash drive, a USB drive. All right, so it's now 5 p.m. Stay tuned for Max and Murphy coming up. Welcome to Max and Murphy on WBAI Radio, your New York politics, policy, government show talking the issues, the people, the personalities, the policies that matter to New Yorkers, especially here in 2018 as we look towards the elections this fall, both in the September primaries and the November general election. So we're here to chat again this week. Jarrett, good to see you. Good. I'm joined by my partner, Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. And Ben, this is our third show. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling very comfortable in this role as a radio host today. I did not even style my hair because I understand I just need to have hair for radio. It does not so, matter what we look like. It much. feels good. Um, and we're excited to be back on the airwaves. We've had a couple great shows to kick off our run here at WBAI. We've been talking with some of the Democratic candidates for attorney general. Uh, we've spoken in the last few weeks with three of the four Democrats seeking that nomination. And we have the fourth one coming up. Uh, next week, actually, so stay tuned for that. We've had some good discussions with Zephyr Teachout, Letitia James, and Licia Eve. And next week will be Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney. And we will also start this show digging into some of the other intriguing races framed by September 13th, including some of the state Senate primaries, many of which feature members of the former IDC and other challengers uh, among the contests that we're following. And we'll begin with that um, today. Yeah. And so what, you know, before we get to today's guests, and today we're digging into one race in particular, but it touches on so many other themes. And that's why, you know, folks paying attention to this election cycle should know if you're a registered Democrat, you have a lot of things to vote on September 13th, a lot of races. Now, you obviously have the Democratic primary for attorney general, also the primary for governor, lieutenant governor. Those are big statewide races. There's no primary on the Democratic side for controller, so you don't have to wor worry about that right now. Uh, controller Tom DiNapoli is moving on to the general election. But then there's also local races for Assembly and State Senate, and the State Senate is really where a lot of the action's at, both in the primary and the general election, because the Assembly is very safely Democratic. And I would say action also between elections. That is where a lot of legislative proposals uh, go to live or die in the state. That has been true for decades, that the assembly is controlled mainly by Democrats, um, almost exclusively by Democrats. And the Senate has, for the most part, been under Republican control under various formats. And that has really been a huge political factor in New York State since before we were born. So many people who listen to this program and our podcast that led to this program uh, and still exists with the episodes of this radio show being posted there follow state government, state politics at least a little bit, if not closely. But folks should know what we're talking about here today and we'll be talking about in several shows relates to these intra-party fights in the state Senate where you have a group of Democrats who had their own conference, the Independent Democratic Conference, and uh, that was a source of much controversy for a number of years. The, the conference grew from about uh, four members initially up to eight in a 63-seat chamber, so a significant number. 
And that conference uh, had a power sharing agreement with the Republican conference. Again, very controversial, uh, has led to a lot of drama, criticism, policy disputes, et cetera. And now we have an election year where the members of the Independent Democratic Conference have reunited with the mainline Democrats and promised to be one conference moving forward. But those eight members are still facing a variety of levels of spirited and competitive primaries. And we have the first of those to talk about now. Uh, we're going to focus today on the 31st Senatorial District, which covers northern Manhattan and a very long strip of the coast of uh, the west side of Manhattan down into Chelsea, as well as a chip of the physical Bronx known as Marble Hill, which is technically Manhattan. And we're joined by the incumbent in that seat, Senator Marisol Alcantara. She is a first-term Democrat, and she's seeking re-election. We'll have her primary opponent, Robert Jackson, on later in the show. Senator Alcantara, welcome to WBAI. Thank you. It's nice to be back here again. I used to do a show here a while ago in Spanish. Ah. Um, it is shocking how many people once did a show on WBAI. <laughs> yes. about half the city. <laughs> a lot of veterans. But why don't you talk, pretend Ben or I are voters you encounter on the street in your district. What's your case for re-election? Um, well, I've been in the Senate for one year, uh, approximately six months. I have uh, 12 of my bills that have been signed into law by the governor, um, by the governor, we have brought in a record of um, money to Northern Manhattan, seven point five million dollars, to do things as creating the first ever in the nation immigrant legal defense fund that provides um, legal. Um, legal help for uh, documented and undocumented immigrants. I have created, with the help of the UFT and District 6, three teacher centers in northern Manhattan um, to reduce the class size for uh, kids that first language, uh, English learners such as myself. Uh, we have created um, a program in 10 schools to address the issues of Latina girls between the ages of 12 and 19, why we have such a high rate of suicide. I have a 100% record uh, from the League of Conservation Voters in terms of environmental issues. I don't, I have never taken a vote in the Senate that has been against my principles um, as a trade unionist as an immigrant or as a Latina. So I'm very proud of my record. Um, I think that people in New York have this idea that New York State Senate um, is a reflection of the city of New York um, when the politics and the Senate are very complicated. Uh, not all Democrats represent um, city districts. We have folks that are from upstate, are from Syracuse that is that have offices that is the first time that a Democrat have um, occupied those offices. So I'm very proud to of my record, and I'm very proud of what I have done for District 31st. So part of your main argument and the larger argument of the Independent Democratic Conference was we will uh, create this power-sharing agreement with Republicans, bolster their very slim majority in the Senate because it will help us influence policy and bring resources back to our district. Is that correct? And um, well I was when I got to the IDC, the IDC was already created. I mean the IDC had been in power, I believe, for about five or six years when I got there. Um, there's a slim majority in the Senate Republican that is kept by Sinka Feller. And even when all of us went back, we were still we all went back in April. We were still not able to get a lot of stuff done. Um, for those of us um, marriage equality was done 
uh, with our coalition government. Raise the age was done with our coalition government. Um, you know, uh, pay family leave was done with our coalition government. Uh, a lot of uh, free college tuition was done with our coalition government and, also. And But part of your argument to your constituents about some of the politics, the way you've managed it is the resources that you mentioned, the millions of dollars that you brought back to the district has been a result of, of, of this power sharing agreement. Exactly. And we, uh, we address, I addressed issues in the Senate in terms of um, issues with Latina suicide that had never been addressed before. Uh, my bill, which uh, um, which talks about why there's such a high number of African-American women and women of African descent that died after childbirth, that was never addressed before in the Senate. Um, we brought the issue of um, a lot of immigration issues that were not addressed in the Senate. Um, were brought out by uh, myself when I got elected to the Senate. One of the arguments that the critics of the IDC make is that political or pr practical considerations aside, that there was a moral flaw to Democrats aligning themselves with the party of Donald Trump, particularly after the 2016 election, that it, it, by in any way empowering the Republicans, you know, as Ben said, patting their majority, in any way assisting them, was was simply morally wrong. What do you think about that argument? Um, I think that there's uh, that there are a lot of progressive folks in the city that have this purity test um, that is applied harshly to candidates of color. Um, I don't see those same folks applying that uh, purity test to the governor of the state of New York. Under the governor, uh, we had the IDC. Uh, I don't see those um, same progressives passing the purity test to Kathy Hochul, who uh, voted against driver's license for undocumented. Um, you know, so I see that um, I was a year and a half in the IDC, so I myself responsible for keeping 100 years of progressive um, policy in the state of New York. Um, but uh, the governor is good. Kathy uh, Hackold, um, even Gillibrand voted. Gillibrand was a pro-gun right, uh, pro candidate when she runs for Congress. So, um, you know, I see a lot of the arguments that folks are making, uh, for example, about Tish James, that she's taking money from real estate. Um, I want you to name me one single candidate in this city that doesn't take money from real estate. You look at uh, Scott Stringer, you look at other folks that are in office, and every, they might, it might not say Rebney, but it, it says so-and-such family. So, you know, there's this purity test that we want people to pass. When I was running for office, I approached every progressive group in the city. I was a trade unionist. I was a Bernie Sanders delegate. I'm 100% I'm um, pro-choice. I am the only Latina in the state Senate. Uh, Latinos are the second highest group in the state of New York. So all those folks that are concerned today, where were they two, where were they two years ago when, we were, when I was running? Um, why didn't uh, they come and say, oh my God, you know, there's a gender imbalance in the state Senate. Why don't we take a look at this candidate, Planned Parenthood, Eleanor Legacy? None of them wanted to endorse me. So when you were running, uh, the place, some, one of the places you found some support was with Jeff Klein, who has led the IDC, and uh, that helped lead to, to your election, that, that there was quite a bit of money that they helped provide to your election in 2016, uh, several hundred thousand dollars, and you won by 
one of the narrowest margins you know we've seen in recent election cycles about uh, about a hundred votes in a very tight race, right? No, it was three hundred and something votes. Uh, they had been other margins throughout uh, Brooklyn, the Bronx, where people have won by ten votes, fifteen sure. votes, two votes. Um, you know, I jumped. I jumped into the race. Um, I believe it was by the first, the third week in June. Um, my candidates. Um, I was running against uh, someone who had who has run for every office that opens up in northern Manhattan, and I was running with somebody else from the Upper West Side that had all the establishment behind them. So, we're on with Senator Marisol Alcantara from the 31st District on WBAI 99.5 FM, and we'll be taking your calls in a moment. If you want to call in, that number is 347-335-0818. We're looking for questions for the senator, not speeches or testimonials. Questions for the senator, 347-335-0818. Uh, Senator, speaking of the support you received in 2016, financial support, uh, there has been a finding by a judge based on a complaint brought by the State Board of Elections about the origin of some of that money and whether it was legally donated to you. Um, And it's in dispute as to whether or not you'll have to repay that. Beyond the question of whether you will have to repay it or not, do you feel the fact that you won your election with money that has been deemed to have been donated contrary to law does that taint that victory for you at all no it did. Uh, first of all the money was donated to the independent um independent democratic conference account uh, i didn't create the account uh these mainline dems have an account the republican party has an account uh what the judge issue was a source of correction uh the correction has been provided so we are waiting for a decision um, based on that correction Okay, we've got some more questions for you, but we also have some callers. So we're going to go to our first caller. You're on WBAI Radio for Senator Alcantara. Your question, please. Hi, is this me? Yes. Yes, go right ahead with your question. Who are you Um, and what's your question? This is actually a follow-up to what you were just talking about. So um, the New York State Supreme Court actually ruled that that money was illegal that that you took. Um, And then um, the Board of Elections told you to give that money back. So there is a plan in place because they told you to give it back and it's been ruled illegal. Why haven't you give, given back that it was $540,000 of illegal money? Why haven't you returned that illegal money? And when will you return the illegal money? Will, will you be using the illegal money in order to try and get reelected? Before you answer, just a, a quick clarification. I think that's a reference to the money from 2016, which has been spent on that election. But there's some other money in this cycle that's really, I think, at the crux of the question about whether you know, money will be returned or is not allowed to be used that's gone through uh, the account you mentioned. Uh, totally. Uh, the money that we spent in 2016 was spent. Um, my attorneys have not, I don't know where you got your information from, uh, but my attorneys uh, have not received any letters say, stating that I had to give uh, money back. Um, I will do whatever the court says I have to do. We have another caller here on WBAI. Go ahead with your question for the senator. Hi, I just read an article that said one third of the IDC money is from the Real Estate Board of New York. With all that money from real estate interest, how are you possibly going to represent tenants like me? And I live in Inwood. Great. Um, Well, um, the money that comes from the IDC um, 
money comes from labor unions, money comes from um, other associations, um, folks that have donated money. I, uh, if you look at my record, I took money. Um, the New York Greater Association donated money to my account. I am a sponsor of the, and one of the biggest advocate for safe staffing, which is something that they're against. I, the TWU, uh, Transport Workers Union have contributed to my campaign. I'm a supporter of congestion pricing. So uh, the fact that uh, somebody donates money to my campaign, and it would be great if we can go through the uh, campaign records of the 63 uh, senators and see all of us that take money from real estate. It doesn't stop me from taking a vote uh, based on what my principles are. A big part of Inwood, like you said, um, it has the largest concentration of Dominican immigrants, but a lot of them have preferential rent. I hold the bill. I'm the carrier of the bill to end preferential rent um, and to end vacancy decontrol. I have not taken one vote in the Senate that goes against my principle, what I think are best for the community. We have another call that I want to go to, but I want to ask quickly, since you mentioned Inwood and, and real estate, uh, there's going to be a vote this week on the rezoning of Inwood, proposed rezoning. What do you think about that proposal? Um, I just don't think that any of the rezoning that has been that has been done in the city, like the uh, Jerome Avenue rezoning or the East Harlem rezoning, is good for working class New Yorkers. Uh, what the mayor is proposing is about 5,000 and something apartment, only 100 and 1,000, about 1,400 affordable apartment. Um, affordable for whom? Um, what does that mean? Uh, what commitment are we are making to people that live in the city? Um, the proposal that the mayor put out doesn't address the infrastructure, doesn't address public transportation. If you take the one or the eight train in Inwood, um, you could hardly get in. Sometimes you have to wait to and wait until two or three trains go by. Um, they want to the mayor has not given us a plan to address uh, how small businesses are going to survive. Um, I believe that if the city of New York is really interested in committing to working, uh, keeping working class folks in New York, um, we cannot have an 80-20. We need to have more deep affordability and we need to have a greater commitment um, to have more than um, to have more than 50% affordable housing. I think someone who is uh, an ally of yours and, and still a supporter, you support each other, is Councilmember Adonis Rodriguez. He seems as though he's leaning towards approving this rezoning. Is that something you're trying to convince him not to support? I have been, um, I think besides Adonis Rodriguez, I have been uh, one of the first elected in Northern Manhattan that uh, came out on record against the Inwood rezoning. Uh, we have had ma uh, many conversations with Councilmember Rodriguez about what this would do to Northern Manhattan. It would wipe out. It would wipe out one of the last immigrant communities in Northern Manhattan. Um, you know, I have spoken to Councilmember Rodriguez about the fact that we have lost about twenty thousand residents in the district. Um, when a black or brown person moves out of Northern Manhattan, they are not replaced by somebody that looks like them. Um, they ha there have been buildings that have been built in Northern Manhattan. For example, there's a building on One Fifty Third. Uh, 26 apartment, only about six of them are occupied. Um, a one bedroom is about 2,500 because people cannot afford it. 
And you and you hit on the notion that next year in Albany, the rent laws are going to be renegotiated, which is a key thing that people are looking at as they're casting and many people are casting their votes this fall and want to hear about on the campaign trail. We're going to go to another caller now for Senator Alcantara. You're on WBAI. Who is this and what's your question? Hi, my name is Ben. I'm a queer New Yorker, born and raised and still living in Washington Heights. Um, and I looked at the Stonewall Democrat uh, candidate questionnaire. And I saw that uh, in response to the question, uh, have you or will you ever support an IDC or former IDC member uh, in this coming election, Marisol actually answered no to that question. And I'm just wondering how that logic works. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, because the the IDC no longer exists. Uh, The IDC stopped existing on April I believe it was April 24th um, when it was dissolved. There was a vote taken on the Senate. Every member of the IDC voted uh, for um, Senator Andrea Stewart-Cousin to be the head of the Democratic Conference. you know, I think so, the hang up there might be that it, the question was also asking retrospectively, have you ever, which, you know, in the past, obviously, if the IDC existed, you would have yeah. supported yourself in the IDC mm-hmm. members. We have one last call I think we'll have time for. Go on. The, go ahead. You're on the air on WBAI. What's your question? Hello. You're on yes. the air. Go right ahead. Y- yes. Uh, so, uh, Senator Alcantara, Jeff Klein, who started the IE. D.C. has said repeatedly to the people of New York that what it's done is enabled his caucus in conjunction with the Republican majority, which wouldn't have been the majority otherwise, to get things done that are good for New York City. So I'd like to know if you can name one thing in the time you've been in the Senate enabling John Flanagan to be the majority leader, one piece of legislation that passed that was good for New York City that wouldn't have passed with a Democratic majority, wouldn't have passed perhaps even less watered down than it had to be going through a Republican majority. Name one positive outcome for New York City from your your group. Thank you. Senator, what do you think? Uh, I just, we haven't had a Democratic majority. And it's the reality. When all of us went back in April, there was not a Democratic majority. There's still not a Democratic majority. If it was a Democratic majority, we would have been able to get the speed cameras um, done. If there was a Democratic majority, when we introduced a when we brought the issue of reproductive rights to the Senate floor, it would have passed. So, I mean, there's 63 senators. There's 62. There's 32 senators that caucus with Republicans. So I don't understand how that equals a Democratic majority. So we have a couple minutes left. I want to look ahead because you've mentioned the Democratic caucus in the Senate being very complicated. Let's say we get, we get, let's say the state gets that majority, Democratic majority in the state Senate. What is your hope? What's your outlook practically for what will be accomplished? What are some legislative goals that you think are reasonable if you get a Democratic majority, given some of the complexities you've talked about? Um, Well, I hope uh, that we can pass the farm workers bill. 
124,000 farm workers, most of them immigrants, we know, with no labor rights whatsoever. I hope um, that we can get early voting done. I hope that uh, we can do um, preferential rent and, vac and end vacancy decontrol. Um, those are issues that mostly is affect um, people that live in New York City, and those are some of the issues that I hope we are able to accomplish. I'll take you out on one last question. Uh, I think there's some Democrats, surely, who were relieved to see that the IDC was, was folding and uh, coming back to reunite with the mainline Democrats, and as you said, vote for uh, Senator Stuart Cousins as leader. Uh, but there's folks that say now heading into this election year, Senate Republicans are in better shape than they would have been because the IDC helped bolster them and helped, you know, ensure that they had a, a padded majority and that, you know, there was a lot of momentum for Senate Republicans to get some of their priorities passed and that if all the Democrats had stuck together, there would be less momentum for them going into this election year. What do you say to Democrats who say, you know, coming back now, it's, you know, it's it's very sort of clearly based on trying to save your seats for this fall. What do you say to the folks that say it's 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 sort of too little too late? Um, well, the IDC came back in April um, because that was a decision agreed upon um, the governor, uh, labor unions, and both Senator Stewart Cousin and Senator Klein. Um, and because the governor wanted to be able to pass the budget, um, state budget, I think that the Republicans, you know, the country has changed, the state has changed. Uh, we have had, I believe, a total of four Republicans that have retired that had strong name recognition in their district. They had been in office, some of them, for over 40 years. Um, if you look at some of the bills that were brought up by Republicans, um, senators voted for those bills that were not IDC members. Um, you know, this uh, Senate Republicans have a lot of bills that they didn't get done, um, which are tax bills for the different communities upstate that have not been done. I think that um, President Trump has been uh, terrible, not only for folks of color, immigrants and women, but also for uh, union members, a lot of them white from upstate. Um, the president has been terrible on uh, not only labor issues, but women's issue, and the entire tax system, which is gonna affect a lot of communities in Westchester, Rockland, and Long Island. So the uh, Senate Republicans are, have a disadvantage because of who we have in office. Well, Senator Marisol Alcantara from the 31st Senatorial District, Democrat running for re-election, thank you so much for coming in, being our very first studio guest. <laughs> Stay tuned to Max and Murphy, and we'll be bringing on Robert Jackson in a few minutes. Stay tuned. back here on Max and Murphy at 99.5 FM WBAI listener sponsored non-commercial radio 
Ben, we've just been speaking with Senator Marisol Alcantara from upstate, uh, upstate from uh, <laughs> uptown. northern uptown Manhattan. Uh, Feels like upstate. Uh, yeah, it does sometimes. And uh, speaking about her bid for re-election, uh, what were your impressions of that conversation? Well, first of all, I think that um, you know she's no stranger to fighting, and you know being a fighter for what she believes in, and her candidacy, and her record, and her accomplishments, whether it's been you know uh, her work prior to running for elected office. So she's pretty good at you know pushing back on criticism of her. She's ready ready for that fight. You know, I think that some of the things that all the IDC members say and can say about having been able to push some of their personal priorities or bring funding back to their districts, absolutely true, right? I mean, yeah, that's the un- deal. Undeniable. Right, yeah. that is the deal. Right, the question is, what 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 was the trade-off to that? And that that's where it gets fuzzy. That's where Simca Felder's role as the person who numerically in, enables the Republican majority comes in. That's where the idea that you are, you know, aligning yourself with a party that, especially in this day and age, some progressives see as totally antithetical to what Democrats stand for. And obviously the bills that did not get action, you know, the bills to change the way the rent stabilization system works, the farm workers bill, others of that nature that arguably might have had a better chance, maybe not been a lock with a Democratic majority, but, uh, but certainly stood no chance for Republican one. Sure. And I but I think these, you know, former IDC members can make the point of, as she did numerous times there, there was no Democratic majority here when she joined the state Senate, when she joined the IDC, there was still the 32 seat, one seat majority for the Republican conference with Simka Felder. Uh, and so they made a very strategic political choice to make an alignment and do what they thought could bring some spoils back to their district and also have a shot at influencing some of the policy because you know when you have a one seat majority sometimes someone's not around or you know you need those 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 folks to bolster your majority and you're willing to sort of give a little bit. And where I think she makes a really interesting point or raises interesting questions, and this is not to set aside the IDC question, I know that's an important one, but talking about the divisions that exist within the Democratic conference now, uh, obviously the ones between, you know, former IDC members and the rest of the caucus are there, but the IDC didn't come out of nowhere. There have been these divisions in the caucus for a long time. They exist in any caucus, um, upstate versus downstate, suburban versus urban, um, in some cases ideological, in some cases racial, ethnic. She's mentioned gender ones. Um, and whether that will be a cohesive whole when, if and when Democrats achieve a majority in the Senate, assuming that's even even possible. Sure. And, and they haven't really had one or at least a functional one in a really long time. And so there's a lot that needs to be hashed out. However... You know, there's a very that, that last question I asked her is a very real question in terms of what are sort of the advantages that were given to Senate Republicans heading into this election year where there's a bunch of swing districts where bolstering their majority and giving them this extra cushion and working with them, um, you know, has helped them in this election year when they're going to their constituents and saying a Senate Republican majority is the only way to save the state and, you know, keep Democrats from running wild with all of state government. You know, that's a very real conversation that candidates and voters need to have, certainly. Speaking of conversation, it's time for us to bring into our conversation the challenger in the 31st Senatorial District, uh, Mr. Robert Jackson. He is on the line. Welcome to WBAI. Well, thank you. And to you, Ben and Jared, uh, thanks for inviting me. Sure. It's good to talk with you again. So, uh, Councilmember Jackson, I'll still call you that because uh, that's the title I used for many years with you. Why don't you talk about your case for election in the 31st? 
Well, uh, my case is about change from the current situation that has negatively impacted not only the people of the 31st Senatorial District, but the entire city and entire state. Because when you look at what has occurred in the tenure since the IDC, Marisol Encantara included as one of those, um, nothing has been passed as far as legislation that benefits the people that I represent. When you talk about well, what, what pieces of legislation, the DREAM Act, the Liberty Act, uh, Sanctuary State, um, the rent laws, uh, women's reproductive rights, uh, education funding, uh, New York Health Care Act, uh, the Farm Workers Bill that she discussed, and many, many other things such as the LGBT rights and all of the things that everyone uh, in my district and around the, the state uh, are missing out because of the Republicans being in control of the New York State Senate. And you can thank... Um, uh, Jeff Klein and Marisol and all the other IDC people that basically put them in that situation. So I, I do want to ask you, you know, Senator Alcantara mentioned that when she joined the IDC and she joined the state Senate in that very, very tight 2016 election um, where you were, were right behind her as well as Michael Lasher in a very close three-way race. Right. She, the Senate Republicans had a majority and kept a majority that year, regardless of what she would do. And so I think one of the questions that I'm wondering a lot this election season and others are as well is, why try to unseat Democrats, especially those who have come back to the you know the mainline conference and not put all this energy, all these resources towards trying to flip Republican seats Democrat? Why, why try to unseat this incumbent senator instead of putting your efforts towards helping flip some other seats? Well, that's what I'm doing. I'm helping to flip a seat where you basically have a Trump Democrat, a turncoat Democrat, a rogue Democrat representing the district that comes down to the district and plays a three-card Monty game on the people. And quite frankly, let me be frank with you, when you look at the district, the district runs from Marble Hill all the way down to 26th Street and 9th Avenue and is about 45% white and about 42% Latino and about 12% black. Uh, and uh, and three percent other. When you look at the district, basically, she's playing the game on the people, and she's not really coming to the Upper West Side. She's not really coming west to Broadway uh, in in Washington Heights and Inwood because she knows that all of these groups that have risen up to Donald Trump uh, in order to get rid of people that are stopping progressive legislation, that's playing the race card. All of these individuals, okay, um, are up against and arms against Marisol and IDC. And that's why they feel that you need to be able to have a right to vote, to vote for the people, the person that you think is best going to represent you. And quite frankly, based on everything I know, uh, I am that individual. Based on, you know, if you look at all of the Democratic clubs, which is the standard bearer of the party, uh, 15 out of 15 Democratic clubs have endorsed my candidacy. The only one that has not endorsed is her club in which she's a member of, in which Adriano is the leader. They've taken no endorsement. That says a lot. When you look at all of the elected public officials, all of the Democratic district leaders, including the Working Families Party, it is absolutely clear that she knows that she can't win. And so she's struggling just to survive. And quite frankly, you know, years ago, a turncoat uh, would not survive uh, in any situation. 
We've got a call on the line, I think. Do we? No, sorry. Well, we we welcome your calls. (laughs) That's a good cue. 347-335-0818 here at 99.5 WBAI. Uh, Mr. Jackson, I wonder, thinking back over the last year and a half that uh, Senator Alcantara has been in office, what... What would be different about what happened in the state Senate in terms of legislation that passed or didn't if she hadn't joined the IDC? It existed before her. Simica Felder was an independent operator giving the Republicans control. What on a practical policy level do you think would have been different if she had decided to caucus with the mainline Democrats? Well, uh, clearly, if if she would have joined along with the other eight, uh, then you would clearly have a, a... majority of people elected as Democrats. Yes, we deal with Simka Felder, but you know that Simka Felder wrote a letter to Jeff Klein and them saying they should come back into the, po- into the fold, okay? And um, he left the door open that he could possibly come back into the fold. And I've given examples when around, there's nine people in the room, and their hands are up in the air holding up the ceiling. And if eight of them left, that ceiling would collapse Simka Felder is not crazy. He's not going to have a ceiling collapse on him. So the opportunity to come back, if in fact the IDC was clearly back into the Democratic fold, would be very, very helpful in moving the agenda of all of the things that have been passed by the Assembly that have not been passed by the New York State Senate. So I mean, we're that's what it is. It's about commitment to Democratic means, progressive values, um, and that's what... Uh, uh, that's what they're going to get with me. They're going so to get we're going to go to a call now for you, Mr. Sure. Jackson. Uh, welcome to WBAI. You're on the air. Who's this, and what's your question for Robert Jackson? Hello? Hi, you're on the air. Oh, great. Uh, my name's Sarah. I'm a mom. I live up in the district. I'm a little confused with the public school funding issue, and I know that Robert's got a lot of input on that. I believe there were quite a few million dollars that were kept away from school funding, and Mr. Jackson helped release some of that, but we haven't got all of that. And, you know, as a mom with kids in school, I want to make sure that our kids get everything they deserve. So what's the next step in making sure all the school funding gets through? Uh, That's a multi-billion dollar question. Uh, And and the answer to that is, obviously, uh, with the campaign for fiscal equity lawsuit that we initiated in May of 93, which took 13 years of litigation, uh, where the end result was $16 billion for the children of New York City. And obviously, um, that money has been basically shortchanged to the people of New York State to the, uh, to the tune of $4.3 billion and about $1.6, $1.8 to the children of New York City. The school where my children went to, PSIS 187 in Washington Heights, is missing out on about $1.1 million a year. You know, as you know, I walked to Albany uh, in 2003, and also when AQE New York walked in 2016 uh, for the 10-year anniversary, I walked with them. But Michael Rebell, our same attorney that filed in 93, has filed another lawsuit in February 2014 seeking that $4.3 billion. And the bottom line is uh, that the state of New York tried to dismiss the case, and even the U- the Court of Appeals has basically said the case has merit. Now Michael Rebell is preparing for trial. And do you know what the IDC did when uh, a bill was on the Senate floor and they tried to tag on that the money that was uh, by the Assembly? 
They walked off the floor instead of voting yes for our children because the alignment they have with the Republicans. And the bottom line is, it is shameful that that's what they do in order to avoid doing their job and supporting the children of New York State. And that's why we need them out, because they're playing a game on the people that we represent. Let me ask you a question, uh, Mr. Jackson. The, the, this is um, the third straight election cycle that you've run for state senate in this district. The first time in 2014 was against Adriano Espaillat, who you mentioned briefly earlier, who's now a member of Congress, who won that year, but then won a congressional race, creating the opening that had the very competitive race I mentioned last cycle between yourself, Micah Lasher, and Senator Alcantara. This is the third straight time. What's different this time? And why, when voters haven't selected you the last two times, what makes you think they'll go with you this time? Why, why should it be different? Sure. When you, when you look at the numbers from to, uh, and, and 2014, when I ran against Adriano, I believe he got about 47%. I got 40% of the vote. The bottom line is it was people thought, that, oh, I, I can't win this. But it was a very close race. In 2016, there were four of us in a race, and three of us split basically 95% of the vote. The difference now is when Donald Trump is president, so many people have risen up and are looking at the Republican situation. Everyone says, wait a minute, New York is a Democratic state. You better believe that it should be a Democratic state, but the Republicans are locking everything down when nothing's being done. And as a result of that, the lines, the Senate lines that are being drawn are gerrymandered toward the Republicans. And also, they should know that in 2020, when the lines are drawn for Congress in New York State, they will be drawn by whoever is in the leadership of the New York State Senate. So the difference is that so many people have risen up, no action, uh, no IDC, NY, True Blue New York, Rise and Resist, all of these groups, Empire Indivisible, Harlem Indivisible, so many have risen up and basically said, enough is enough. We need to get rid of these rogue Democrats. We need to get rid of the Republicans uh, that uh, are in office. And that's what the difference is. Michael Lasher basically said to me, Robert, if we're both in it because we split the vote, we can't win. I am supporting you this time. And so all of the Democratic clubs that were supportive of Michael uh, also are now supporting me. But here's the issue. I'm a fighter, and I'm going to fight for the rights of our children and the people of our district if I have to run again and again and again. Here's the bottom line is, until people that we elect do the right thing, that people should run against them. That's what happened with, with uh, Alexandra uh, Ocasio-Cortez. She ran against, you know, Joe Crowley, and no one thought that she was going to win, but she won. There's a change, and the change is now. Blue Wave 2018 is here, and we're not going to stop. Let's take another call for Robert Jackson. Hi, you're on WBAI 99.5 FM with Max and Murphy. What's your question for Mr. Jackson? Hi, thanks. Uh, Mr. Jackson, you talk a lot about the IDC, but as Marisol pointed out, they have come back to the Democratic fold. They're voting with the Democrats now. So what <laughs> difference does it make? Do you believe that? I don't. Let me tell you why. Four years ago, uh, they were supposed to come back, and that broke off. Um, in fact, when uh, Governor Cuomo sat next to Andrew Stewart Cousins and sat next to Jeff Klein and basically said, they're dissolving the IDC. Huh? Uh, then uh, several days later, an a email went out uh, for a fundraiser for the IDC, and the governor's campaign said that the governor would not be attending this $1,000 and $5,000 a plate fundraiser 
because it's not for all of the Democrats. It's only for the IDC. And in fact, as you know, you may not be aware, but all of these groups are extremely, extremely active. And do you know, even though his campaign said he would not attend, he snuck in the back and activists were waiting there, pointing their fingers at him and yelling, shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. The bottom line is they came back before and they broke away. Why didn't they come back in January? Why do they have to wait until after the budget is done? You know, that's the type of situation that we should not be in. If you truly believe you're a Democrat, then stand with the Democrats. You know, Michael Lash and I took a pledge. We raised our right hand uh, two years ago and said, we will always be Democrats fighting for the people of our district, not selling them down the river. Uh, Mr. Jackson, talk about the governor for another minute. Obviously, he is in a primary race of his own, and some people believe that that race has similar contours to some of the IDC challenges, and that it's uh, you know depicted as a challenge from the left. Uh, what's your what's your take on the the governor primary? The governor primary uh, is loud and clear. If you have not noticed, I'm supporting Cynthia Nixon for governor. And you may say, people ask, well, why is that? Well, I talk about education. If anyone knows me, I've been a parent activist fighting for our children's education because I've said loud and clear that education is the key to uplift all families. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, or red, blue, or green, or you're rich or you're poor. And Cynthia Nixon, from an education point of view, has been lobbying, has been rallying, has been at press conference. She's even been arrested. And so just based on the fact that... Um, uh, that our governor basically has basically held up $4.3 billion that our children are entitled to under the law, in which hundreds of thousands of them will never have an opportunity to see that. You know, we need a partner in Albany who will fight for progressive policies every year, not just in election year, or not just because you're considering running for governor, so, uh, not governor, president of the United we're States. We're going to go to one more call. Just Schools, quick. not jail. We're going to go to That's one more call for Mr. Is. Jackson. Just quickly, Mr. Jackson, I know you have been running uh, you know, a number of races, and because of the election calendar, there's really not that much time between these state legislative cycles. They're every two years. But have you been doing any other work uh, in the meantime? You left the city council at the end of 2013. Have you, have you been doing any other work in, the, in that time? Well, yes. I mean, uh, I, I was a consultant for Dart Container Corp. Uh, as, as you know, I was a co-chair of the Black Latino Nation Caucus, and we attempted to uh, have a bill to recycle foam, uh, and there was a ban on that. And the bottom line is that, that we felt that was going to have a negative impact on small businesses, especially businesses of color. So I was a consultant for them for a little while. I was a lobbyist for them for a little while, and I left them uh, June 30th, so I'm not affiliated with them at all. And I pledged that um, up in Albany, when I go to Albany, and I truly feel I'm going to go to Albany, uh, that, that I will not be involved in any legislation that they may have up there, and I don't even know if they do. But the president of my union asked me to come back because uh, I worked 22 years for labor union as a field representative representing people against disciplines and contract arbitrations and discipline arbitrations. And I came back as a downstate director, which was a position that I was in before. So if you don't for, know, for which union, the, New York, the New York State Public Employees Federation represents 55,000 professional scientific and technical employees who work for the state of New York. And so when you talk about labor, I am labor. All right, gotcha. We're going to go to one more call. 
Hi, you're on WBAI. What's your question for Mr. Jackson? Yes, thanks so much. My question is the Democratic uh, caucus and some Republicans may have some concern to have peace and more peace, hopefully, around the world instead of selling uh, thousands of hundreds of tons of all type of weapons to Africa because it's something that's cooking. Tell us your, your question for the senator because we have very little time. So if he has any concern, uh, the Democratic uh, members of Congress uh, has any, I guess they won't have any control of that, uh, unfortunately, I don't know. I just pray for all. Let me, let me say this. He mentioned guns. And uh, I've said loud and clear, um, uh, as a member of the city council, uh, I stood with many uh, that uh, against gun violence. Jackie Rowe Adams, who is a leader in Harlem, she started Mother Harlem's Mother Save. These are mothers who lost children due to gun violence. I've said if I was the president of the United States of America, I would ban all AR-15 assault rifles. Um, and even those who had them, uh, if the government had to buy them back and destroy all of them, because those are just weapons of mass destruction. And obviously, uh, people say, well, we should have a right to own guns. Guns, one thing. Assault rifles are totally different. And so I'm, I'm in favor of, you know, uh, restricting assault weapons for anyone and everyone. And you people may say, well, I would never vote for you for that. I would, that's okay with me if they don't vote for me for that, because the bottom line is those AR-15s and weapons like that kill thousands of people, children all over our country. We've seen it. We've seen it. And that, uh, I say to you, um, I will stand up and fight for that. Mr. Jackson, we only have about a minute or so left, so I just want to ask a final question. That is that one of the points that the senator made, and it's, it's uh, inarguable, is if, if she were to lose this race, we'd lose a female voice in the state Senate in a year when women's issues, obviously, and, and finally are really coming to the fore. We'd lose a Latina voice in a state where they are a, a very large share of the population. Would that be a net loss to the state to, to have that those voices r removed from the Senate through your victory? Well, if, you, if you're only looking at it from the point of view of a woman or point of view of a Latina, uh, but Andrew Stewart-Cousins is a woman. Andrew Stewart-Cousins is a person of color. She would, be the, she would have been the first majority leader of the state Senate and first woman of color. But quite frankly, the people of my district want an individual who's going to stand up and fight for the issues that concern them and their families. And it doesn't matter uh, if that individual is a male. It doesn't matter if that individual is um, an African-American. It doesn't matter if that individual is uh, gay or, or transgender. But the individual has to be someone that's going to stand up and do the right thing on behalf of the children and also, you know, look at what is being prevented right now. Thank She's a woman, but the Women's Reproductive Act hasn't been passed. We're going we're gonna to have to leave it there, Mr. Jackson, but we, we definitely well, got your point you. on I the end thank you. I appreciate coming on to you, and um, the people of our district will decide on September 13th. Yes, indeed. Thanks for joining us, and best of luck on the campaign trail. Thank you. Take care, fellas.
Thank you. So that was Robert Jackson, who's challenging State Senator Marisol Alcantara in the September Democratic primary for State Senate District 31, which has, like many of the State Senate districts, this kind of funky map. It goes very skinny up a lot of the west side of Manhattan, gets a little wider up north uh, into Washington Heights and Inwood, um, but a very hard-fought primary happening there, and it was good to talk to both candidates today. Definitely, and I think it comes down to, as we knew at the outset, it really is just about the IDC. It's a, it's a referendum on that and what you perceive that to have been. If you think it was a shrewd strategic move by some Democrats, if you think it was meaningless, then you're likely not to be motivated to vote along those lines. And if you think it was a, a sellout to the Republicans, then you're most likely going to vote for, for Bob Jackson, I would assume. Yeah, and you know, one of the most interesting things, of course, is that the election of Donald Donald Trump changed everything, right? And so there's a very good chance that if you had a President Hillary Clinton, we might not necessarily be seeing the challenges we're seeing to Governor Cuomo, to Lieutenant Governor Hochul. You might not be seeing some of these state Senate challenges. The IDC, you know, might not have gotten the attention it's gotten. Maybe. I mean, there was plenty of attention. You know, folks are, there is some revisionist history happening this election cycle. There's been criticism of the IDC forever since it began. There were challenges in 2014 to some of the IDC members, including Jeff Klein. Uh, you know, Governor Cuomo has has played both sides of the fence, or he's, you know, blurred these lines quite a bit, promising reunification and backing out, et cetera. Um, but Donald Trump's election certainly changed the game, and, and the amount of energy that it seems like we're seeing doesn't seem to portend well for members of the IDC, especially Senator Alcantara. No, I think so. I think there's real vulnerability there. And we'll be talking next week uh, with candidates from one of the other races that frames this question about the IDC, Senator Tony Avella and challenger John Liu from the 11th District out in Queens, where I think many of these same phrases will be uttered uh, and, and, and same critiques will be made. Very different district. D- very though. different district. Yes. And, but but two candidates who also have a history uh, from a previous race. 2014. One of the 2014 races, exactly. And of course, Sean Patrick Maloney, one of the, uh, the the remaining Democrat running for attorney general who has yet to appear on Maxim Murphy. Right. Next week, we'll kick off the show with uh, Representative Maloney, who will make the fourth of the four Democratic AG candidates to join us over the last several weeks. We had Zephyr Teach out just before we started this WBI show. We played a little bit of her interview, our first show, after we talked with Tish James. And then after we talked to Representative Maloney, we will talk to uh, Senator Vela and John Liu, who has a very interesting history in New York politics, and he's back at, for another go at it here. Lots of questions to ask him, lots of questions to ask Senator Avella. Anything else you're looking at in the next week before we uh, come back? Well, I think we're getting down to, I think we're at 43 or 42 days to the primary. And I think the big question is, you know, this this wave of change we've been thinking about and hearing about nationally. And we saw some example of with the uh, Joe Crowley, uh, Ocasio-Cortez result in the federal primaries. Will that translate to these primaries coming up on September 13th? And, And if so, how many of them? Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing that's very interesting, we saw a poll out this week and we dissected it a little bit on a, in a couple of fronts at Gotham Gazette. The this attorney general primary looks to be wide open. Uh, the number, you know, the numbers show undecided to have the highest percentage. And then the four candidates coming after that with Tish James in a little bit of the lead, according to the poll. And this poll was significant because it was taken of likely Democratic primary voters. Now, we still don't know if these polls are capturing, again, this energy that's out there, this organizing that's out there. It's very hard to say, uh, but that looked to be a wide-open race. And the lieutenant governor primary with sitting lieutenant governor Kathy Hochul and her challenger city council member Jamani Williams also looks like a wide-open race. So 
everything that's happening in those races is interesting and important as we head towards the primary. Well, this wraps up another edition of Max and Murphy on 99.5 WBAI-FM. I want to thank Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. He's Tweet Ben Max, uh, GothamGazette.com. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org, Jarrett Murphy on Twitter. We thank Reggie Behind the Glass. Please keep listening, keep reading, and get ready to vote. Jesse Lent with the WBAI Resistance Calendar. Saturday, August 4th, and every Saturday this summer at 3 p.m., you can join the Community Solidarity Bedford-Stuyvesant Food Share at Herbert Von King Park on the northwest corner of Lafayette and Marcy Avenues in Brooklyn. Along with a few bags of free healthy vegetarian groceries and some clothing, you can come grab a bowl of Chef Gordon's beloved black-eyed peas and lentil soup. Reads a statement from Community Solidarity. During the summer months, the Bedford-Stuyvesant Food Share distributes farm-fresh produce grown locally and donated by CSAs across Brooklyn and Long Island. As with all Community Solidarity Food Shares, all people are welcome to come for groceries or to volunteer. No paperwork or documentation is required. Food is a right for all people. You can get more information about the food share at communitysolidarity.org slash foodshares slash bedsty. Monday, August 6th, and every Monday this summer at 7 p.m., the organization's Food and Water Watch, 350 NYC, and the Sunrise Movement are hosting a series they're calling NYC Climate Movement Mondays, a climate war room for the 2018 election at Caligaris at 114 West 18th Street between 6th and 7th Avenues in Manhattan. Are you for big oil or for the planet? Asks a statement from the three groups, the evenings will feature what organizers describe as a, quote, deep dive booth, where we leverage New York City contacts to find allied activists and groups in all 435 districts nationwide. Join us as we take down the oil oligarchy and save the planet. You can find out more by sending an email to climatemondays at gmail.com or by going to justiceduckling.com and clicking on the events calendar at the top of the page. Tuesday, August 7th, and every Tuesday at 6.30 p.m., you can volunteer with the New Sanctuary Coalition at the Immigration Clinic in Golding Lounge on the second floor of NYU's Vanderbilt Hall at 40 Washington Square South between McDougal and Sullivan Streets in Manhattan. Every week, the clinic helps 50 or more immigrants prepare for immigration proceedings, apply for asylum, and assert their rights, reads a statement from the New Sanctuary Coalition. We help them prepare their cases so they can best represent themselves. To learn more, go to newsanctuaryNYC.org or call 646-395-2925. 
The Icarus Project NYC is a local chapter of the radical. Okay, so I hate to break that, break into those announcements, but uh, the tyranny of the clock, as they would say, as folks would say, uh, permitted me to do that. Once again, this is WBAI New York, ninety-nine point five FM, and WBAI.org online. And once again, this is a listener-sponsored community radio station that provides you a Pacifica state of mind since 1960. And the show that you just finished listening to was Max and Murphy. And if you appreciate shows that uh, actually focus on local politics, uh, please call the station right now, 516-620-3602. Once again, 516-620-3602, or go to gift to wbaiorg online. Stay tuned for a very special and live edition of The Gary Knoll Show coming up in mere seconds, so stay tuned for that. And once again, this is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and wbaiorg